Hello, everyone. Welcome to Going in Circles, the Big Monday show. This is the post-Thanksgiving edition show. We will recap all the fun stuff that happened last week, including me getting suspended by Twitter and Red Strike. Yes, we're talking about him again because we haven't talked about him since he... Uh, Took himself out of contention for any awards. Not that he should have ever been in contention, but, you know, uh, we'll talk about the, a lot of stuff. Stay tuned. Pleasant Acre Farms is a full-service breeding operation located in Morriston, Florida, just outside of Ocala. If you want to get involved in the breeding business in the Sunshine State, or you're already involved... Pleasant Acre Farms is really the only place you need to know. Joe and Helen Barbazon, who are just great people, do a fantastic job taking care of your mare. Uh, they have a solid roster of 13 stallions with a really diverse group of pedigrees. Your mare will find a match at Pleasant Acre Farms. Currently, the star of Pleasant Acre Farms stallion roster is Neolithic, who is by far a runaway winner of the freshman stallion of the year here in the state of Florida. His son, Make It Big, just made it three for three, winning the $400,000 springboard mile at Remington Park, earning 10 points towards the Kentucky Derby in the process. Pleasant Acre Farms is your one-stop shop for breeding in the state of Florida. Check them out at www.pleasantacrestallions.com or on Twitter at P-A-S Stallions. You can also give them a call at 352-528-2885. Pleasant Acre Stallions. Check them out. Hello, Sniper. What's up, man? I got a question for you. Uh-oh. I may or may not have an answer. Is all the turkey gone? Yeah, we got a small bird. I'm not a I'm not a turkey fan. I I don't like it. You don't like turkey. Do not like. Do not like at all. Like I'll have a piece and eat everything else. You'll have a piece for like tradition's sake. Yeah. Kind of put a little salt on it and Yeah, no bueno. So everything went well for Thanksgiving? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So, and my father all over and his girlfriend and you know, we're clowning around, having some fun. A good holiday and you yeah, went yeah. to the uh the magic game is right? Yeah, that was pretty fun too. Surprised they didn't uh call you down from the stands and get they, they needed my help. Yeah, they were... Uh... Honestly, I could shoot better than a lot of their team right now. <laughs> they didn't have a very good game. Though, I don't though know my man, mobile Bull I Bull beat, is... but I could still shoot. My man, Bull Bull's doing some work tonight. Yeah, he's a beast, man. He's he's the new he's the new wave. Like, yeah. the, that's the new thing. Like, uh, who's that guy, Victor? Yeah, Victor and the French him... guy. <clears throat> yeah, they're, they're seven feet plus with guard skills. And they're like, I think I described them as uh, Avatar, the movie, playing basketball. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good one, actually. Um, so this weekend we had some, uh, you know, some steak action around the country. Southern California had a little bit of steak. <laughs> Say little, but uh, obviously the, the two-year-olds took the stage at uh, a Churchill um, on Saturday, and uh, guess we might as well just go ahead and talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess our guy Red Strike. Just isn't gonna make it to the uh, three-year-old. <laughs> oh, he had a seat at the table. <laughs> he kind of did until that. He, he had a seat at the, like the 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 kids <laughs> table on the side. Right. He he wasn't at the big boy table. <laughs> he could have made it there with a win in the Clark, but uh, he decided not to show up. So. Yeah, yeah, he did not show up at all. Supposedly after the race, he <clears throat> he had a guttural pouch infection, which you know is legit, right? Um, I saw a lot of people saying, "Why didn't they know we had it before?" <clears throat> Sometimes these things aren't. Um, it's not clear. I mean, no, those <laughs> are those are difficult to know because it's uh, getting too technical. Guttural pouches are up in the horse's skull, basically, um, by their tear ducts. You you have to. You know, it's it's not a, it's not something you ha- you have access, easy access to to see. And if they don't cough, they don't have a temperature, they don't lose their appetite. Um, their blood work's going to come back fine. <laughs> it, it's not easy to find. So you know, it's it's easy to find after the stress of a race because you're you're looking for something. In, um, but you know, prior to a race, it, you know, it, there, there's so many things that you can do to uh, assure that your horse is as good as he can be. And um, you know, I, I don't give them any, you know, I, I don't give them any any BS about uh, about that. I mean, it happens. It it just is. Uh, it's not easy to find sometimes. Um, that being said. It was really ludicrous that uh, we were we were even considering you know, championship talk about a horse who just you know we don't need to really reiterate all the all the uh, <laughs> the banter well, the talk about his you know lack of showing up and how some people somehow have making you know they they've made fourth place finishes now achievable goals because he ran for a tag once. That's the thing, but, you know, sometimes people say, well, he's an exclaimer. Well, he ran for a tag one time and he won by 17 lengths. So let's not act like he was you know, <clears throat> toiling in the never win twos of, yeah. you know, for 7,500 and, and, you know, <laughs> he ran one time in a claiming race and like I said, he, he won by the length of the stretch. So it's not exactly like he's a former claimer, but um, it just was a silly, and I'm, and I'm happy that that talk is gone, and that the the sanctity of, of awards that I really don't even care about that much have been kind of saved a little bit because he, he really did not belong to be in in, you know, in that conversation. The horse won one race, and the Kentucky Derby's 
a popular race and it's a very, very important race for our, our racing industry because of its fame. But it's not our best race. And you know, to consider it that is just is just silly. It doesn't you know, so people say, Well, winning the Derby is like winning two races. Huh? So in popularity Ow. for the general public, perhaps you're right. Maybe it's like winning ten races. But we're supposed to be you know, a little more attuned to um, achievement than the general public should be. So we, you know, understand that it was a big win, and uh, yeah, it's not an easy thing to do. Obviously, everyone wants to do it, but it was by far, um, you know, that that was the thing that people kept going back to, and I kept thinking to myself, How? what other Derby winner ever got like this sort of? Um, undying support without really having done a whole lot more. I mean, mind that bird, you know, had a little, had a better record um, post Derby. That's not, that's not saying much. <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, you know, what is interesting though, like the people, I guess this is a social media thing um, that were upset that we told the truth about Ridge Strike. <laughs> uh, even afterwards, uh, people kept like posting. we, you know, like we we hate the oh, whole, you know not even that kind of party, man. It's just we're betters, and you know we bet against horses like that. Grow up, because that we stayed. <laughs> just grow up, everybody. Yeah, man. It's, it's, horses, hey, horses do not care if you if you say bad things about them. <laughs> they don't care. They do not care. Believe me, I've talked to horses and they just look at you like you're crazy because they're probably thinking, why is this idiot talking to a horse? I'm a horse. I don't talk. <laughs> but what, you know, the, the the horse's level of fame and his popularity, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Right. It's about winning races and whether he can or can't. And we thought that he couldn't and he didn't. Yeah, exactly. Listen, it, it, everything is, um, uh, what would the word be? I'm trying to come up with, uh, it, it, I guess context. Like, the, my favorite college football team is the University of Arizona. <laughs> if you talk bad about them in the current situation, I'm not going to tell you. Well, you shouldn't talk bad about them because, you know, 1994, they were ranked number one for a time. And, you know, uh, Teddy we Bruschi had, went there. Yeah. We had Chuck Cecil of <laughs> the, the missile and, uh, you know, like a uh, Gronk. <laughs> but it's, it's like, you know, I would say, well, yeah, they're not too good, but they're getting better. I mean, they did beat Arizona State, which which is always important. That was that was my Friday. That was that was your Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. And we won the fight. Mascot fight was phenomenal. We lost the mascot fight. You did. He twisted his head around like he gave him the the Sun Devil one two. But I guess what I'm saying is that like, um, just because that that's my my team, I I wouldn't like bet a thousand dollars to win on them to to uh, to win the national championship or something stupid like that because you know they're just not that good. And that's the same situation. You're talking about a horse who's a nice horse. He's, 
He's a solid horse. He's run good numbers, but he's not good enough to be to be considered a horse that is above reproach. You know, that's the thing. It's like where well, never where that that's draw the, the line. Wild. He was. Like, I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. He was and never he, that. Like he barely got into the Derby. Barely won that race. You know, it needed the setup of a lifetime. And it's not surprising that he hasn't uh, won another race. I mean, we thought he was going to turn the corner maybe when he almost beat Hot Rod Charlie in in that race uh, in the Lucas. But you know, it, I, I I can't even explain that race to be honest. Even honestly, when you Derby. go back, not, you know, two months later, you go back and look at that race. It's like, he what? caught a field of horses that were all going south. Because none of them ran well out of that race. Not Happy Saver, not Hot Rod Charlie, not Brit Strike. None of them came back and, and did well out of that race. I, that was that was a little bit of a. Uh, I mean, arguably that that was his best race. Yes, and he and didn't nothing, even win. unquestionably it was his best race, and he didn't win it. <laughs> and he lost. And he, and it wasn't like he got outgained by this game horse. He got outgained by a horse who's who no loves horse. to get outgained. I mean, it was kind of a. It's, it's like the Spider-Man meme, you know, where there's three <laughs> Spider-Mans in there. All right, who's gonna hang the worst? I mean, Hot Rod Charlie had the hang job of the year in the Sal the the Doug Salvatore Mile <laughs> when he was almost a full horse length past Mind Control, who came back to beat him on the wire. Oh man! And remember, after that, I, I kind of wrote him off. So said a few things, not you know, not like. And that's the thing is, if I if I say a horse hung, he hung. That that means he hung. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, he's a horrible horse, and everybody that ever thought of anything positive about him is stupid. No, it has nothing to do with that. We evaluate horses as horse players, and as horsemen, this is what we do. This is what the game is based upon opinions and and that's that's the thing that seems to be missing uh in this certain occasion is that it's based upon opinions and in this horse's case we have a lot of evidence to support our opinion and the people on the other side of that line don't yet they don't they they want to continue to argue a case that just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense and you know call me crazy but uh, uh you know things making sense still you know supposed to matter a little bit right <laughs> yeah well yeah the off social media yeah <laughs> on social media no rules no 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 <clears throat> um what did you think about the two-year-old stakes at churchill uh the the you know the two turn stakes, the Goldenrod and the um, Kentucky Jockey Club. Um, okay. I mean, you know, we see these races year after year, and the winners really almost like peak too early, and and you don't really hear from them too much after they they turn uh, three. Um. But, I mean, they're always worth noting because usually horses out of those races um, 
become players. You, it, most of the time, it's not the winners. But um, they're always decent to pay attention to. It kind of anchors that whole day, the, the future stars day at Churchill. So it's, it's always good to see and, and play those races. But uh, I was kind of confused because I thought the Phillies ran faster, but somehow ended up speed figure wise being pretty much equal. Yeah, the um, the um, the pace was was very was the pace was actually you know relatively I would say not lightning, but for, it, for the um, for the goldenrod, I mean, um, T Max, who was a, a long shot, went to the lead and went twenty four. Point two nine forty seven point seven nine one twelve point two eight, which you know that's a legit fraction over that racetrack. The way the track had, um, you know, the times had had shown for the day. Um, but the Kentucky uh, Jockey Club, the the pace was very very slow. They went twenty four and, and um, twenty four and three, almost twenty four and four the first quarter, and then the second quarter was really slow. They, the second quarter was run 25 and one. So the half was 50. Then they threw another 25 second quarter at him, and they got down to three quarters and one fifteen. Hmm. Uh, and remember this is 30 minutes, you know, after the golden round was run, it wasn't as though there was, right. It wasn't like there was many races between those two. <laughs> right. And then, you know, oh, they did something different with the track or this or that. No, that, that's not true. Um, and to you know, to his credit, Instant Coffee was was able to rally into that slow pace. Uh, and you know, at the eighth pole, it looked like any one of four or five could win. Um, Hayes Strike to me looked like a horse that was Man. going to win, and then he He's just got- kind of leveled out right at the end. Um, Red Root One seemed like he had a lot of horse uh, on the inside. That's uh, Tyler Gaffleone's ride for Asmussen. And Florentio <laughs> did a number on him. He, he just, you know, wouldn't let him out, which, you know, technically you're not supposed to do. Right. That's he... how you're supposed to ride him. Yep. But um, I was a, it was a good, you know, I, I thought Instant Coffee ran well. I don't know that, uh, you know, if he's going to be a derby horse or not going to be a derby horse. He seems like he's the third or fourth best horse in his trainer's barn. Um, but, uh, you know, Al Gold's a good guy. He won, he's the owner and, um, you know, same people as uh, Cyber, Cyber Knife. Uh, the horse broke his maiden. You know, he was pretty impressive at Saratoga. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Um, he, he actually didn't run bad at, at Keeneland at all. He got a little bit, you know, got shuffled back a little bit uh, behind Forte. Um, you know, I mean, but, I just hope they don't just, you know, kind of wrap him up. And, and just, you know, I, I want them to keep running him. He might get better that way. And instead of, you know, kind of just handling him with kid gloves, trying to get him to the derby. Yeah, right, right, right. I, I agree. I mean, I think that um, looking back, if you look at Epicenter and where he was at this time of the year, and, and this goes back to your point that these races – uh, don't seem to be great indicators, at least for the winners. A lot of times the horses who don't win these races wind up being 
uh, the better horses for whatever reason. But, you know, Epicenter, the one thing about him um, was that he danced a lot of the dances. And I know he lost the Derby. I know he didn't win, but he certainly was right there and had Rich Strike not gotten in and not gotten the perfect kind of, you know, ride and then weaving in and out, he would have won. And, um, you know, to go to your point about taking the horse out of training or put, you know, handling kid gloves, just trying to win one more prep, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, the horse can, you know, has no soundness issues. There's no reason not to. Right. He could get better. He could build on that foundation that he has already. You know, you see him go two turns. I mean, that's that's like a major issue now with with these three-year-olds going into the derby is lack of experience. I mean, yeah, yeah. Or not that, you know, charge it could have been, <laughs> you know, how, how good charge it could be or Taiba, you know, at that point, you know, you know, first Saturday in May. Sure, exactly. Um, you know, obviously those are good horses regardless, but they needed time, you know, going into the derby with three starts. It's going to happen where somebody's going to win doing that, but it's going to be tough. Yeah. It might not happen. You never know. It might not, but I, I think it will because I mean, you still have to earn the points. You know, that's, that's part of the thing too, is that um, they have, you know, they did, they listened to us. They finally listened to us. Yeah. Uh, and they did tweak the system a little bit, which, which it needed. I mean, I didn't think they went far enough, uh, but I do, I, I was happy to see that uh, they did make some changes and, and some of the earlier races are worth a little bit more, which, which is good. And they're paying down to fifth, which probably won't make much of a difference. The points for fifth are, are pretty small, even in the bigger races. Uh, I just think that they worried about ties because I mean, last year there was, there was some potential for some ties and that would have been very you know, I guess there's a, a tiebreaker, but it would really kind of suck if two or three horses all tied for the last spot. Um, so that should, uh, there should be enough points, one point here, two points here, three points here, that they're, they don't uh, all land on the same number. Um, but, you know, Instant Coffee looks like, you know, look, looks like a nice horse. A Boltioro, I was, I, that, you know, surprisingly enough, Boltioro has done very, very well. Yeah. That was his first graded stake winner on the dirt. Hmm. Um, and I, I don't know anybody that came into this season thinking, boy, I can't wait to see the Boltioros on the turf. <laughs> it just kind of happened that way. And they sometimes, you know, in the summertime, you're looking for a two-turn race or even in the fall nowadays. Uh, you're looking for a two-turn race, and sometimes the only two-turn races that goes are, are the ones on the turf. So guys put them on the turf, and voila, they actually <laughs> wake up. <laughs> they actually ran good on it. Um, I did not hear the post-race comments from Tom Amos, but supposedly he had kind of intimated that that Hoosier Philly, who won the Golden Rod, uh, yeah, and she won impressively. I mean, she she's a lot better than those. I'll tell you that. Um, 
that she may be pointed to the Derby, maybe maybe heading to a Derby prep. Well, I like that because yeah. it, it leaves the options open. And, and, you know, it's all about, like we've talked about time and time again, it's about the competition. It's about, you know, my horse is faster than your horse. And if she proves tough enough, they, they I think they should go for it. I, I mean, that's debatable at this point. But at least it's on their radar and they're thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. I mean, it's not as though um, there's anyone so outstanding. And Forte looked good his last couple races, for sure. But that's a long time to hold your form and to keep improving. Right. Where is he going to go? Like, I mean, I, I can't envision him getting way too much more better than what he is already i mean i he could definitely improve there's there's room for improvement but you know it's, it's just hard to to envision a horse that you haven't seen do anything overly spectacular beating horses just to come out and and just go to another level with it yeah mm-hmm. it doesn't happen often i mean you know it'd have to be you know just a a horse turning, you know, into a man right. uh, before the Derby uh, to, to pull that feet off. I mean, look at how many times somebody's won the Breeders' Cup and the Derby. <laughs> yeah, right. It's it's uh... <laughs> the Derby is such a unique race, and it's just you know so much different than everything else. And we'll talk about it ad nauseum the, the upcoming six months or so um yeah in a front row seat at tampa <laughs> yes, sir. um but uh it's the you know it's, it's it's looking like a you know it's looking like a wide open year and that's good we we do have the issue again and and this year it's going to be even different because last year mr baffert you know, was suspended, not just from Churchill. He was suspended, period, during the Triple Crown season. This year, he will not be suspended. He will only be suspended from Churchill Downs properties. So I don't know exactly how it's written and and what the requirements are for a trainer change. Uh, Last year, it was, like I said, it it was much simpler because he was suspended. So it wasn't like he could just get them um, to fill in for him and then he could immediately take the horses back right after they left Churchill Downs. This year, they can. And that's a question that might be really uncomfortable to answer once, uh, if, if Mr. Baffert is or a horse formerly trained by him is able to win the Kentucky Derby. And I'm going to ask a question right now is, can he run the horse in his name in the Preakness? I don't know that Churchill Downs really can do anything right at that point. And I mean, it could strongly suggest, <laughs> I guess that's the best you could get, but you know, whether Maryland Jockey Club goes for it is a whole other story. 
Yeah, it, it would be the first ever previously trained by in the Triple Crown history, I believe. Um, at least for horses that uh, I've never remember. I, I don't ever remember any horse ever being transferred during the Triple Crown. I mean, maybe it happened, um, but you know, to an also ran or, or someone, I, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> someone got gotten days during the Triple Crown and the horse racing or different name. I, I don't. It hasn't happened to any horse of note, to put it that way. I mean, certainly not to the winner. But that would be um, that would be very, very... <laughs> it'd be an interesting storyline. I know that people get all upset about you know, racing, uh, racing's reputation, and it's, it's almost silly because <laughs> I think racing's reputation has never been great. It hasn't been great <laughs> since basically forever because a lot of larceny went on um, and how do you say it you know every movie's portrayed racing yeah i was gonna say even in books in some of the books like i think it was i want to say it was picking winners uh by buyer that he makes allusions to, to larceny in, in the book in, like, the first chapter. Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is that if you are wagering on the sport, um, the intent of the connections is part of it. I always kind of rolled my eyes a little bit when people said, well, you're supposed to be trying to win every time. I said, well, that's kind of true. I mean, sort of. <laughs> but if I, I put a horse in a race that it's not really suited to, at least I don't think it's suited to, because remember, when you have young horses that haven't raced, <clears throat> you're guessing. <clears throat> you're guessing. But if I put a horse in, I mean, when they didn't have a lot of grass races for two-year-olds, we had to race our grass bred horses on the dirt. Um, so, and yeah, that form was dirtied up. You just did it because there's no other race. (laughs) A lot of times you just want to get experience. And and that was just what we did. And it just goes to, to back to the point of things have changed in racing a lot and not necessarily for the better in a lot of ways. It's not. I mean, we've we've we could talk about them to a blue in the face, but but one of the things that has changed is how uh, trainers and connections approach first time starters. Um, you know, I remember guys like Bill Mott, Charlie Whittingham, Nick Zito. You know, guys were legendary horsemen who won you know every big race there is to win. They almost wouldn't try with first-time starters, and they wanted to get them a race. They'd get a race under their belt. They, you know, they wouldn't put a lot of pressure on them. And I'd say I don't know, maybe about <clears throat> twenty, twenty so years ago, attitudes changed, and, and people wanted to win with first-time starters. And I think a lot of that has to do with the bloodstock market, and. Uh, when you're training for people that own stallions, they want those stallions to get off the hot starts. They want them to have lots of winners, lots of young horses that uh, you know, look like they're promising. 
And, you know, you've seen a change where guys like Bill Mott now are, are relatively competent with first-time starters, where at least, you know, his numbers are. Of course, he, he's competent. But, you know, the point being that if you're considering a Bill Mott first-time starter in 1995 going 5 <laughs> on the dirt. It wasn't happening. <laughs> he was winning about 4% on those those types. Now, you know, he's, he, he's not like, Baffert, he doesn't have every horse, you know, cranked to run out of their skin, but in the teens, he can win. You know, the horses, yeah. they're good enough if they get a nice trip, uh, they can win. And that's just a difference in, in philosophy um, of the game. And it's probably a bad thing. It's probably a bad thing in the end. Um, Horses are probably better off getting a start. If they're good enough to win first time out, then they're good enough to win. There's nothing you can do about that. But I always often thought it was funny because you know people would say, oh, well, you know, there's, you're supposed to try to win every time. I said, well, we're always trying to win. I mean, I'm not going to cry if the horse wins, but you know, the horse needs a mile and an eighth. And, <clears throat> well, why are you running the six rollings? Well, because that's the only race that there is. You know, <laughs> have to work them up to to get to that point, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's funny you say that because I, I I love when they do interviews on television with trainers with two year olds doing some something for the first time or you know they're trying something out and I have to get better at deciphering trainer speak. Um, I mean I, I know some some trainers will just sandbag the whole situation and say, nah, nah, you know, we're not trying to win this race. And then it ends up, you know, the horse romps. Others will kind of allude to the truth a little bit and, and kind of lead you down the path that this probably isn't the race that they were trying to win. Um, but I wish we had more of that, you know, um, <clears throat> just for this reason, just for the reason that we're talking about. Uh, because it, it'll it'll give clues on intention, and then you can take that context and then put it into your handicapping. Um, you know, over the years, I had to kind of adjust to that sort of thing. Um, you know, where you can kind of educatedly guess that a race really isn't the the ultimate goal for a horse or two in a race and you can safely eliminate them and that helps with building tickets things like that like oh this horse isn't even trying to try to win this one um but like you said it's it's one of those evolving pieces of the game that that doesn't get talked about a lot um in addition to winning with first time out horses and things like that the game's changed quite a bit. So a lot of those old methods that are taught in a lot of books that are old, because really nobody's, I can't even remember the last new horse race handicapping book came out. No, it's it, there's, there's nuance to it now. That's different from those books back in the early nineties, let's say <clears throat> in the seventies, eighties, there's a lot of differences and you have to be able to adapt as a player. Um, being dynamic is, is something I always preach 
about successful horse players. They're able to make changes on the fly like a good coach um, in any sport. You make adjustments, and and that that's what makes you successful. And and it's just really <clears throat> in a spot where <clears throat> you have a lot of people like myself who's kind of in between the old school and the new school. Um, but it's it's got to be tough for people coming into the game now to understand that nuance because all the books are older. <laughs> it's 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 a really layered thing. I mean, I I I just don't sleep, so I think about these things all the time. But <laughs> it, it's it's very layered, and it's interesting. I, I'd like to know, like new people, like you know, somebody that, that jumps in into the bit and they want to play. Where do they go first? I, I mean, I see people asking about books they should read and so on, but I don't see anything new. No, some of the outdated, some of the stuff. Is yeah, they update. Now. Yeah, they update them, and but really it, not. The new. game has changed so much that it's not even uh, a lot of the old books aren't even pertinent anymore. And it, it's more difficult. I mean, you have a situation now, even with two year olds, first time starters, where uh, their videos of their works are available. There's <laughs> yeah. you know, clocker reports. Um theoretically should should be helping you but the problem is that clock reports are pretty, pretty widely known there's there's not a lot of secrets anymore so uh and and the way the back stretch is made up and that's probably the honestly that's probably the biggest the biggest thing yeah biggest thing in that you have a few trainers that have all the good horses and an almost an unlimited number of good horses young ones and to, to get beyond those two or three or four guys, um, it takes a horse that's either you know, really working lights out or, or a leap of faith because those guys do win an awful lot of those, those type of races. Uh, that's probably the biggest thing. I, I remember Saratoga Maidens would be 12 horses, 12 different trainers, and, and eight of them would have a shot. And you do not see that anymore. That does not happen. Even the turf races. Remember, we were talking about this yeah. last summer at Saratoga. Uh, you know, guys got tired of paying exorbitant prices for European horses that had won. So they went over and they started buying yearlings. And they brought them back. So now we have all these European yearling um, you know, purchases that, that are in our turf maiden races. Um, and they went a pretty good chunk of them because those horses are I mean there's not it's not just a coincidence the Europeans win all of our turf races and it's made the races less random um, and I'll be honest you would never see a horse first time out be three to five 1985 no, like you don't Never. even go that far back. I mean, that was like when I first started playing, like I'd say really intensely, probably back in 2012, 11 ish. And you could get prices on first time starters. That was like my bread and butter. First time starters always paid well. 
like you know any any first time starter laden race usually you're not getting a favorite now the words out and, and he's just, just three to five and just, even going back to Saratoga, winning Saratoga is the one meet that um there's more it seems there's more two-year-old maidens than anywhere mm. uh, plus they run a lot more but um Sid found a Sid Fernando found 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 a, a tear in the matrix this year with the the turf horses by more than ready. Yeah, he did. I think there's three of them by more than ready that won that all paid huge prices. But a lot of those horses, when you go back and you look at them, made sense. Um, it made sense, but four or five other horses in the in the race had something similar, and they're not taking any money at all. And their workouts are, you know, rather ordinary. And they have, you know, uh, a jockey that's that's 13th in the standings. And those horses just don't win very often. So when they do win and they pay $40, that's probably what they should pay. <laughs> right. It's just up to you to decipher that, that, hey, this horse has got a chance. And it, it, it just gets a little frustrating, though, when, when the, the chalk parade kind of, um, you know, it plays with your mind as well. I mean, well, yeah. When you see a horse on paper and you're like, yeah, this horse is, you know, uh, eight or nine to one on the line. Everything lines up. Race comes up. <laughs> horse opens up two to one. And you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> Everybody yeah. and their mom is on this horse. Uh, it, it, it's harder now. It, it's There's no doubt in my mind that it's harder now. Trainers, are, and, and this will, I'm sure people roll their eyes, but. Trainers are smarter now than they used to be. Much. Maybe they're not better horsemen. Um, and guys that train 200 horses, they're barely even horsemen. They're, they're you know, you, you can't. How much horsemanship does it take for, you know, when you're training a horse that's 900 miles away and you never <laughs> see them? Yeah. That's it's not your horsemanship. Four furlongs. It's Make- your it's your plan. It's your, um, you know, it's your feed program. It's 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 your. You know, I'm sure people say their drug program. Yeah, that's but the thing that comes up. It, it's it's you know it, it's not like it used to be. Let's just put it that way. And um, but but trainers have gotten smart about things, and. And I, I guess I'm, I'm talking more about in terms of of spotting their horses. Uh, guys don't run dirt horses or turf horses on the dirt anymore. Just doesn't happen very much at all. Uh, people pass spots all the time. And I get in this argument with racing secretaries for the last 15 years. I said, you guys should write a book that's long. Well, what do you mean? I said, you write a two or three week book. Guys, they don't race horses like that anymore. When you bring a horse back, I mean, we heard about Rich Strike bringing a horse back in 20 days. It was like, oh my God. I right. thought they were racing them. To, you know, like, what are they doing? These guys are crazy. They acted like they were racing heats, like the Hamiltonian. <laughs> it used to be if you if you were more than three weeks out, people would kind of think, well, what's wrong with him? How come he hadn't run back? <clears throat> I remember I told you that's that, that strange stat that only I seem to like ever care about the original breeders cup turf i think it was 14 horses in the race every single horse raced within three weeks including the europeans 
That's the Breeders' Cup turf. The horses that you would, you know, would think that would be the the horses with the least amount of starts, with the most space between. Uh, you know, mile and a half turf horses. They all, every single horse started within three weeks of that race. So that just goes to show you now where 21 days is considered too fast. Oh, they're wheeling back too fast. Uh, and not to go back to Rich Strike, but Rich Strike's a closer. You could almost make a case to me with a speed horse run that, sooner that might be a lot tougher to do because the speed horses runs from the start. Um, a closer, you know, the first half mile of the race, they're galloping along. They're not really under much pressure. And then they, they finish up. So maybe, right? But uh, I was on Mike Penna's show, um, Horse Racing Radio Network, on Saturday morning. He, he had texted me on Friday and, and said, hey, do you want to talk about handicap racing? And I laughed and I was like, well, you know, there much left. <laughs> but, uh, I said, sure. And, and his point uh, that he wanted to bring it up, he thought it was a good topic, was that the fall highway handicap was at uh, Aqueduct, was held at Aqueduct that day. And uh, the, the highway was 132 and the spread was was pretty small, I think. One hopeless horse got in at like 124, but um, the horse had got claimed for like 16 due back. But, um, you know, the spread was like three, four pounds, which you know, the whole intent of that race is, is to have, you know, carry high weights and have it be a big spread. But um, I thought, yeah, that'd be great. And we talked about it for a little bit. And, you know, I did a little, you know, quick little bit of research and it was funny because I hadn't realized, and, and this is sometimes, uh, you know, PPs are really the gold standard for, for horse racing history. And it's a, it's a shame that we can't get PPs from horses before, you know, 1992 or so, or, you know, that we can't get PPs without paying for them. Right. Which is really silly. That's I mean, some, it's history. It's not. It's not active use or anything. Exactly. It's a picture, basically, when it's all come comes down right. to it. Right. And I I understand there's reasons for that, and you know, of course, it's financial. But, um, you know, one of the points I made was is if you and make this point to everyone here too that is listening. If you ever have a chance to get the book Champions, the DRF Press, you should you should do it because number one, it, it's a fascinating book to look at. Um, number two, to to really understand the history of a horse, uh, you you really need their PPs, and I can tell you about this horse's or that horse's uh, career. But the past performances really lay it out in it in a manner in a, in a format that that we're used to looking at horses in order to judge them. You know that's what we do. We look at PPs. Um, how many times have we talked about it here? You know, it's really hard to handicap a race for the past performances come out, and you, and you really <laughs> you know look at them. And, um, 
know, people fall into that trap of trying to handicap a race two weeks out when you don't know who is going to be entered and you don't know uh, what post positions you're going to get. You don't know what the, tr- the conditions are going to be. And, um, but going back to the handicap races, uh, I was looking at some of the old you know, Forgo. I, he was the first one I looked up because Forgo was really a little before my time. I actually saw Forgo race at Belmont, and I didn't. I did not remember it. My dad said that uh, we had been on vacation in New Jersey and Long Beach Island, and uh, he planned. He planned it so he that planned it. He, he wasn't... as we were driving by. Oh, hey, we can stop at Belmont and see Forgo. Hey, what? What? How did that happen? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but and this is this is something that like I, I don't know why it, it it surprised me, but back in even in the eighties. All the stakes were handicaps. <laughs> <laughs> like all the older horse stakes, for the most part, were handicaps. The Jockey Club Gold Cup was was like the only one that wasn't was Wade for Age, and sometimes the Woodward was Wade for Age, and then other I found examples where it wasn't. So it changed. It must have changed back and forth, but but most of the races, uh, going back to like Native Diver. Um, and Forgo, that almost all the races they ran in were handicaps. Almost all of them, like all of our older races, would be handicaps. All of them, and for fillies, for the sprinters, turf, they were handicaps. And when you think about that, and you think about um, how unappealing the game seems sometimes from a, a standpoint of non-competitive stakes uh, or even short fields. And, and you know, there's a big reason. We, we all know that there's way, way too many stake races that are available for the population of horses that we have. The, uh, that's, that's not, even, I, I mean, I don't even know this, if it's a debatable topic anymore. I mean, that's just like a given, but, when you think about that and consider that um, a guy who has a horse, a proxy maybe, and, and I brought this point up on Mike's show, I said, you know, we took a lot of heat for saying that we really, you know, we'd had enough of flight line. Saw him, he was great. I thought he was like spectacularly good, amazingly talented horse, but I've seen enough. I, I didn't need to, I don't need to see him in the Pegasus beating white a barrio I, I just to me eh, whatever but i said to to mike if we were in an era where handicap races were still a thing and they would properly handicap a race i mean if you put proxy who won a grade one this weekend so he's now a grade one winner and flight line in the same race well, flight line at equal weights is, would crush him. Like, I have no doubt he would be at least 10 lengths better than him. Yeah, but with a 10-pound weight shift. Um, 10 pounds. What, what if flight line carried 136 and, and proxy carried 
120. Right. Give him 16 pounds. Levels the playing field quite a bit, and it also helps the betters out because it's it's not a foregone conclusion that, you know, Flightline could handle that amount of weight going whatever distance. I mean, it, it's just better. It, it helps so many things that people don't, you know, the ripple effect of, of just that simple of a thing um, could work wonders in a lot of different areas. Yep, absolutely. And if you think about it, like, you know, your, your quote, competition, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it creates a competition. And the whole reason that Tandy Caps went away, it was really kind of the start. And Bobby Frankel had a big part in it. <laughs> and he, he really did. Uh, Bobby Frankel was a great trainer, but Bobby Frankel cried all the time. I mean, he literally cried all the time. <laughs> and he badgered racing secretaries because he, he knew he had the big stick. And he would bitch and moan about a pound. A pound. And it's it's almost funny nowadays because no one even considers weight. I mean, it's just not even a consideration anymore. Um, but he he really was like, the guy to put the nail in the coffin of handicaps and it's a shame because the fact of the matter is that um the people on top the people with the best horses they need to be handicapped i mean could you imagine sports if there was no limits on on what teams could do and the richest teams and the richest universities could just sign as many people as much and spend, and spend whatever they wanted on 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 their team. Yeah. That's what that's what horse racing is. Yankees. Could you imagine if right the team that that wanted to have you know every good player. And could and could go out and and buy them an auction and send them to the same place, right? But you know, like all the leagues figured out that <clears throat> parity is good for business, absolutely. And, and it's the same thing in horse racing. That's what you want. We don't have parity. No, the we, whole idea that the haves and the have-nots. Basically, this this whole idea that oh, the stars. <clears throat> why are we penalizing our stars? Um. You know, they don't make, they don't make uh, Tom Brady wear weight ankles around his ankles. No, but you know what? When, when his team wins a, a big race and wins the Super Bowl, they give him the worst draft pick the next year. I mean, right. there's, always been, there's always been um, some sort of I – mean, I shouldn't say always. There, there wasn't always. But in recent times, competitive balance – is something that every professional sports league has focused on. Um, except horse racing. And horse racing actually went the other way. <laughs> yeah. We, we took away, because people have this, you know, ludicrous notion that star horses are, are going to, you know, help racing. Just never happened. The only star horses that help racing are Triple Crown winners. And you saw the impact 
of the last two Triple Crown horses, right? Minimal. Slim to none. There's too much going on. One of them that, that doesn't get even mentioned. Exactly. <laughs> even though he's going to be a better sire. Yep. Um, but that's the thing, is that You know, we, we, we had this, this notion, oh, we're penalizing our stars. And if we if we don't, if we get rid of handicaps, they'll race more. <laughs> that was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't happen like Ooh. everyone thought it was. But what you've done is you, you've <clears throat> taken away the incentive for everyone else. And that's what people don't get. And that, yeah, they look at a race in uh, New York and they see four horse races and five horse races. And it's a little different in California. California is in that situation because they don't have any horses out there. Um, and it's, you know, it's sort of a pain in the ass to get there. I'm not saying you can just fly out there, but, um, you know, the New York races, people aren't going to run into and they're not going to enter races if they don't think they have a chance. Without a handicap, a significant handicap, it really, you really don't have much of a chance. And that's something that, you know, that, uh, that's lost. It's never going to come back. And, you know, we understand that, but, um, but it was good. It was a good thing for the business. And I tell you, I was, I was really taken aback when I realized, holy shit, all of their aces are handicaps. <laughs> Yeah, like you said, you, you just look at Forgo's PPs and you can see that. Like he was carrying 130 plus for the last, like, I want to say like 10 to 15 races he ran in. Uh, yeah, he, he gave. He's like 136. Uh, it was always named Step Nicely. And I'm doing this off memory. I don't have the PPs in front of me. But I think he 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 beat him like a neck or a length or half length. It was relatively close. In a big race in New York or Brooklyn or one of those races. And I think he carried 136 and stepped nicely, carried uh, 111. <laughs> and the next race, he carried 137 and stepped nicely, lost a pound from that race. He carried 110. So he was getting 27 pounds. <laughs> and, and he got beat by him. You know that 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 was his breaking point. Right, and, and that was the thing is like that that was the only times he got beat. <laughs> right, and, and that's the thing. It's like man, you, you look at that, and you're thinking to yourself, "My God, um, <laughs> that's like that's 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 like crazy, really." I mean, it's it's right. You had to come up with ways to try to beat him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When we went, we went to all wait for age races and and allowance conditions. It was it was a big mistake. I mean, it just was a big mistake. But um, you know, that's something that uh, you know we can't rectify. Even cigar, cigar carried uh, uh, in the mass cap when the mass cap actually had lost its greatest status, uh, but they bumped it. You know, they put. They put uh, two hundred fifty thousand bucks in extra to, to lure them up there, and Cigar won the uh, the mass cap carrying one thirty. 
Uh, a horse named Personal Merit was second. Uh, Julio Pazua carried 111. Uh, and yeah, it, it was not a good field. I mean, Hogan's Goat, Pro Lanzier, Northern Ends and Will Terrain. I mean, it, it wasn't a good field at all. But, um, you know, he was in at 130, and, and the rest of the field was in at 111, 112, 114, 109, 109. And he won easy. So, um, I'm trying to think of the last, uh, the last horse. Zenyatta carried a lot of weight in a couple of races. Yeah, in a couple of races. But I think it was 129. I don't think she ever got past 130. It was, was it like Oakland? Uh, no, that was in Santa Anita. That's Santa Anita. Yeah. Synthetic Santa Anita. Yeah, synthetics, right. Uh, Sky Beauty carried 130. I'll tell you what, it knocked her out. <laughs> it knocked her out. It was that was a big effort. Um, but no, it's it's a shame because handicap races were, you know, they they offered proof of a horse's greatness as well that um, they weren't just fast, they weren't just brilliant. They they also were tough. And, and and could uh, could right. do that. champions, yeah, <laughs> champions. Yes, sir. Uh, anyways, um, we had the cigar and mile this week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of White Barrio. Speaking of White Barrio. White Barrio's not even in good form. Like he can't win, can he? No. No. His time is his window is closed. His window is over. Nice and horse and everything, and and I'm sure you know if they gave him a little class relief, he'd win. But I don't. I just don't see him winning the cigar mile. But stranger mm. things have happened. So no, yeah, I mean that is true. <clears throat> um. I was trying to think of who else. Zambin's going to be in there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, He's kind of a question mark. Yeah, I mean, his, you know, he he raced, actually raced better in the, um, uh, in the Pennsylvania Derby. Yeah. Than he had. Um, but, I mean, it's it's not like... It's not a uh, a great addition of this cigar mile. I mean, right now we're looking at uh, White Barrio, O Bezos, Mind Control, um, Norm Cash, Double Crown. Hmm. Who might uh, who might <laughs> who might run a couple times this week? Uh, Baby Yoda. Supposed to maybe, maybe that's, go. That's a tough horse to 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 catch, at least for me, anyway. Um, uh, Baby Yoda is a very tough horse, especially at because um, he when he doesn't run at, he, at the mile but, distance. Yeah, yeah, that might be a reach, but when he doesn't show up, he really doesn't show up. The um, 
the Remsen this year looks horrible. Um, well, I think that that all goes back to your thing you talk about with the, um, you know, the point system and things like that. That there's no incentive for for anybody to run the Remsen anymore. Yeah, I know Julia Shining is pointing to the Demoiselle. She'll be the uh, you know, the the highlighted horse. Um, now if that's uh, sister, but um. Yeah, the the Remsen seems to be lacking this year quite a bit. Um, they're they're the Hollywood Derby, which somehow or another is a Grade One race. <laughs> um, Wit is supposed to run out there. I'm kind of funny. Wit turned you know looked like he was going to be a. A, a good closing sprinter that maybe could stretch out a little bit. And you know, I tried him on the turf and, and he, he seems like that's, he's found a home on the turf. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the matriarch is, uh, is a grade one too. Not sure if that race really, I'm sure that race that race really should be a great one. Disappointing, <clears throat> but it's going to be a uh, next year. I mean, we've talked about it. It's going to be a really, really soft year. If you have a good allowance, solid allowance horse, you should be trying stake races because I cannot recall a. A softer group of three-year-olds that are turning four that are going to race. Essentially, it's Taiba. Um, and Rich Strike. <laughs> and Rich Strike. That's it. That's pretty much it. Um, you know, the older horses, who's left? They're all scattered. I mean... Cody's wish. Cody's wish. I think they want to go far. I mean, miles seems to be his limit. Right. So, um, you know, is, is he? I mean, I'd assume that they're going to try to stretch him out to at least a mile and an eighth because big money. Why wouldn't you? Right. It's soft. He, he might be able to get away with it. All those 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 horses, those retreads in California. <laughs> Express train. <laughs> Express train. Country Grammar. Country Grammar, he's coming back, isn't he, or is he retired? Uh, I mean, you, you would never know that that horse won as much money as he has. <laughs> Someone was telling, was, was making that argument the other day. Oh, it was Santos about, oh, the, yeah. um, about the money that Rich Strike makes. I said, I said ah, yeah. these days, that's a skewed thing. I said, uh, Country grammar made ten million, and nobody thinks he's any good. <laughs> Literally, in in two races, basically. <laughs> the last race he ran, and he got beat twenty five lengths. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. What have you done for me lately? <laughs> oh man. Well, speaking of history, I was uh, reminiscing with our good pal. Uh, Chris DiCarlo, 
about Green Grotto <laughs> winning the Carter. Grotto. At 50 to 1 or 46 to 1, I think. Yeah. Chris DiCarlo is a steward now. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of actually looking forward to that card at Aqueduct on Saturday. You never I'm, know. I might even wind up being there. Oh, what what? In shorts though, right? Gonna be wearing shorts? No. <laughs> My shorts have been. Uh, they've been. Oh, they've been put away. Oh. No, we can't do that. Um, they they are calling on anything else. <laughs> they are calling for rain on uh, Saturday. Oh, week. that's no good. But a high of fifty six. So, um, one thing of note that I saw today is that the uh, first video slash pictures of the uh, Gulfstream Turf Course. Yeah, there was a couple yeah. workouts on there. Aaron Grider was in in the saddle, which kind of surprised me. But why he's a midget? Yeah, but you gotta be in shape. I didn't. I didn't know he was still kind of breezing horses at this point. I thought he was. He's all as the front man. Oh, he, he's a relatively in shape midget. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it looks good for now. Right. I want to see after they run on it for a week. Or what? I know it's it's sounds crazy, but. I never thought we'd get to a point where actually like physically having turf courses to use was going to be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's especially in Florida. I didn't see that one coming. No, that wasn't um, on the bingo card. I, listen, it, it was a tough situation because um you know, Calder closing and and uh, I think yesterday was the the two-year anniversary of the last day, that really made it difficult. And, and they were stretching the, the, the turf thin, um, going 10 months a year right? on turf course. And they use it an awful lot. And and they use it because the, the turf races average uh, something like $750,000 handle a race, and the dirt races average five hundred. Hmm. So it, it was a pretty significant um, um, you know, difference. Um, but 12 months was just too much. I mean, it was just too much. You know, the question now is though, because of the addition of the Depita course, they will have fewer lanes to run on. So I don't think it'll be that big of a deal in the winter time because that's when their bread is buttered and they'll use the turf as much as they physically possibly can. Yeah, um, because that's the, you know the big, the big time of the year. Um, I think the rest of the year you might see some, some restrictions. Well, um, that that makes sense. I mean, a little bit, because uh, you definitely have to give it a break. I mean, you you just can't run a full year round on that, and expect no. it to be good. No, no, that's true. So. So it's good to see turf again. Yeah. 
I mean, you saw it at, at Churchill. Very little. <laughs> we saw very little of it. Yeah, that's true. But the weather wasn't one that. race a day. <laughs> the weather the wasn't last, for the last three days. You said great though. Uh, I, I will. I will give. Um, it was a very sharp move by Vicky Oliver and the connections of trademark to scratch out of the Clark where the horse looked like it had, you know, <clears throat> little chance um, to run on the turf, even though the horse hadn't shown any turf form yet. It essentially was the main track only. And when that race came off, the Commonwealth came off the turf. Um, that horse was top of the list. One, one of the two logical choices, right? Top of the list. <laughs> so that was a three hundred thousand dollar race, but she was smart enough to uh, to go in there and give her credit for that. But um, yeah, let, let's just hope that you know Churchill actually has a grass course to use next spring. Because it's been kind of brutal for a while there. Yeah. Yeah, this whole year. I mean, even even for, you know, Gulfstream, it was like gone most of the year. Yeah. I, I mean, when, when did they shut it down? In July? Maybe June? No, before June. July. Late, yeah, June. Like the first week of June. Right, so you figure from June to when they're going to start up on Thursday, and they had so the, June they, to December. <laughs> it was the one day for the uh, the Arlington Million at Churchill. <laughs> right, oh, man, that was a debacle. Dalika, she does like the Churchill turf. Oh, but our guy Bubble Rock was the goods. Yeah, Bubble Rock. That was that was a nice. That was. That was a perfect example of, of handicapping a race well, and not not bubble. I mean, not horse, you know, figure. But we did a we did a newsletter and we gave out the horses who were first and second. Or excuse me, first, second, and third. And, and third, second, and third surprised. were thirty four and thirty eight to one. And like a moron, I didn't bet the tries. <laughs> <laughs> or ten cent supers. The ten cent super paid twelve hundred bucks for ten cents. I could have hit it for for forty cents. Oh God! Sometimes I know I, I kick myself in the ass so many. And proxy was my was my play in, in the uh, in the card. Yep. That, that was my top play. I mean, I, I did well on the card, but that would have been could have been phenomenal. Should have been a lot better. But I was distracted different. watching stupid Arizona play in Arizona State. See, those damn Sun Devils oh, did you in again, scummies. But um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just hope that there's there's turf racing next year. I'm actually, you know, eagerly awaiting the opening of Turfway. I mean that 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 track plays into my strengths as a handicapper and better. From what I hear, that the there's going to be more. Um, more snow. No, no, no. Oh, dang it! Turfway more more usually gets like ice though. It's not that belt of the 
yeah. country that, that, that lies on the cold, you know. Yeah, I can't relate anymore. Between the cold and the north states, and, and they get, they don't get snow as much as they get ice. Well, they get that, that Chicago worse. jet stream, don't they? Coming down yeah. from, you know, the, that brisk Detroit Turf. air. Turfway's cold. But, um, yeah, I think there's going to be more, you know, quality horses there than in the past. Uh, the purses are going to be good. And, um, you know, there's a lot of choices if you have a good horse, you know. Well, you know, at least for me, it's synthetic and there's always chaos. So I'm, I'm good with that, even with the better horses coming in. It's always nuts. Oh. That's why you can't, that's why Woodbine is like close to impossible. Yeah. Yeah, Woodbine is not I I don't even anybody that does well consistently at Woodbine, please let me know the secret. <laughs> I think if you, you a place like Woodbine, it's kind of a enclosed track. There's very few shippers for outside of the stake races. Mm-hmm. I think it's a track you need to concentrate on. Like that's yeah, your because they, they do beat each other up, you know, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, especially in the stakes, the lower level stakes, it's always the same horses. <laughs> yeah. And those ones I usually hit, you know, it's 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 just sometimes it just gets nutty up there. I don't know if it's wind or what have you, whatever goes on. I mean, the synthetic plays really crazy sometimes yep it like change in the middle of a card like you know where speed for some reason just started winning there was no rhyme or reason to it at least that i could tell but the the surface changed or something changed mid card and and you know half the races were one way half the races were you know another it was it was real bizarre yeah yeah. Well, fun though. I'm happy you're looking forward to Turfway. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to Turfway. My handle on Turfway will be what it usually is. <laughs> Maybe $10 a week. When I get bored and I start to look at a race and then I find somebody I like. Well, the beauty of that. And then it... I get a trip, you know, a guy goes like 59 wide. <laughs> yeah. And, um, <laughs> And then I Make just sure. say, oh, okay. That guy I never heard of. There's, this is why I never heard of him. And then I turn Turfway off. And I never turn it back on until they... What do they call it now? The Jim Beam? <laughs> <laughs> the Beamy Steaks Day? What is it? Uh... The Beef? Oh, it's the Beef Jeff steaks? Ruby Steaks. The, the Steak Ruby. Steaks? Yeah, the Steak Steaks. Which still should not have be a 100-point race. Crazy. Well, one of the beauties of um, Turfway is it kind of reminds me of, <laughs> and this is going to sound wild, but it kind of reminds me of, of the Meadowlands when it gets crazy. And you well, can harness or thoroughbreds? Harness. And you can get those $1,000. Yeah, like uh, amateur. Pick threes. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of reminiscent of that because. Especially early on in the meet, you know, some of the guys aren't really riding synthetic, and it and it seems like it's different. I don't know for sure. I should 
do some research on this and, and ask around and a couple jockeys or whatever. Um, but it seems you have to ride it differently in a lot of ways. And it's not quite like a turf race, but it's not quite like a dirt race either. Although, it, you know, turf horses tend to like synthetic a little bit more for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, it, you, you don't have to spend a whole lot at Turfway to get, you know, something out of it. Even with like 50 cent pick threes, you, you still, you know, eight, nine hundred dollars consistently like you know and then there's some nights where you just can't get around chalk but that doesn't happen very often yeah no i hear you i hear you man it's all your fault pretty much bull bull oh, it's bulldog right, by the way didn't talk about bulldog right bulldog hanover yeah he's gone <laughs> he's fast he's gone Super fast, man. I was I was very, you know, glad to see a lot of crossover there, at least with him. Yeah, um, people paid attention. Yeah, racing. Um, because usually, you know, you get some flat betters that are harness snobs sometimes, but usually, yeah. you know, there's there's usually enough crossover because. A lot of horse players just will play anything, um, and they'll they'll you know venture over to some some harness, especially when they're winning. I used to see guys do that, you know. Uh, I used to go to the races sometimes, like on a Monday night, and this was back in, you know, when Meadowlands was still running uh, flats in in the fall. But you'll see a guy hit, and he's like, oh, man, I've been here all day. And then <laughs> he goes home broke. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember when doubleheaders were just part of life, man. We did them all the time. Right. That was it like a thing. Uh, Saturday night, at least. At least on Saturday. There was no consideration of, you know, doing something else. Was like, no, that's where are you going? Where do you think I'm going? Right. It's um that's that's almost like how it was when I was in, in high school going to you know Friday nights at uh Rockingham Park in the yeah. I'm I mean it was just a that that's where I was. You know, from seven thirty to midnight. And yeah, no that go get some Chinese food. I spent uh, a good portion of my life at racetracks in the daytime and nighttime. Yeah, the nighttime crowd gets a little feisty. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of met up. Right, they've been there since, <laughs> since it opened at 11 a.m. <laughs> they were betting the simulcast all day. You know, I, you know what's funny about that is I used to do that when my wife, um, <clears throat> she was a teller at Highlight when we were first dating and stuff. Um, and she used to open the place and then basically close it. So I would stay there all day and just most of the time observe. Um, I mean, but it's. It, I, I wish there was a way we could get like let it ride dated. Yeah, it would be so fantastic. But that that's such a a, a one 
you know, one of a kind story and movie. I don't think it could be duplicated, but no, not similar not. to that, you know, <laughs> would be excellent. Yeah, it's a classic. Comedy, just pure comedy all all day long. Yep. So no more Bulldog Hanover. Boo. Of course, you know, one of the things about Bulldog Hanover was he was able to race. Since he kind of emerged on the scene in early summer, he raced like 10 different times. Which which is a lot more than than Thoroughbred's race. He shamed our boy like endless times, too. You know, a buck about Hanover is uh, he's, he's got new uh, Andrew Harris has one now. Oh, they, bought, they bought him at the sale, the Harrisburg sale. Oh yeah, that's right. I he mean, actually was he was making a nice run the other day. And Alleywag, yeah. <laughs> he just made him look ordinary. He yeah, he he was Bulldog Banner was was super good. I mean, he was just uh, he was just extraordinary. And you know, the only reason he lost that race at the, at the Red Miles because they tried to set the track record, the world record. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes, you know, when you don't actually go out there and um, consider the other horses, a horse like Alley Wag Hanover is good enough to just sit behind. And if you go too fast, which he did, he's, he's going to take advantage of it. You know, it doesn't take away from the horse's legacy at all. But uh, he was he was exceptionally fast. I mean, it's it still is crazy. I was watching, um, I was watching some videos the other day, and a couple races from the you know the eighties and the nineties, and it's it's incredible. The great horses were were trotting and what 15 <laughs> claimers have gone nowadays. <laughs> uh, and there's lots of reasons why. But um it's just uh it's just it's just weird to be honest with you that, that they've gone so much faster than than they used to go but um but thoroughbreds don't anyways Ooh, I also have to mention that I did handle business against Joey the K Christofek in fantasy basketball. Oh, that's good. My fantasy basketball team is like a freaking red cross. Man, you're, you, yeah, you're you're just the hospital. Every time I, I, it... I go on the website and they have all the guys listed oh. on the left size and, and they have uh, oh, Q. Q's and, and red or, or O's for out. These guys are and out. <laughs> every day I go there and I see like seven guys are hurt. I mean, it's like someone's, you know, on a nationwide. Uh, what, what was that chick's name that, that hit the other, the ice skater hit the one? Oh, uh, Tiny Harding and Tiny Harding, yeah, I swear Tanya Harding's out there clubbing my guys. Should have drafted Bobo. That's all I gotta say. I know I should have drafted Bobo, and I, that's that's it's a regret. It's it's a terrible regret because I didn't think they'd play him. 
I didn't think so either until the season started and he was out there a lot. Well, then, yeah, well, then a couple of guys got hurt, and it's like – Right. You know, uh, what's his name? Cole Anthony got hurt, and they had to slide. And he slides into a basically like a, a, a three. Yeah, now how, how do you take him out? I mean, it's scoring – Well, you take him out because they have a better offensive player ahead of him. He, there is no better offensive player. Yes, Franz Wagner is a better offensive player. He plays a different position. Well, yeah, that's because Bobo's like literally eight feet tall. Bobo's the best player in the league, Barry. You can make that case. I'm not. I'm not going to just blindly say no. <laughs> He's the new breed, Avatar. He's good, man. And you could have got him for nothing. I know teams could have got him for nothing. Right, they basically people, gave him away for a second round pick. Well, people were putting him in the taco fall category, and he's oh, I mean, that. he couldn't stay. He couldn't stay. You know, his first two years, he got hurt a lot. Um, I, I mean, just imagine him on the Celtics right now. I know they need a guy in the middle, exactly. He can fill in a lot of spots. And apparently, I mean, from what I've been seeing, he can he he's he's proven himself to be a, a halfway decent scorer, and he could carry a little bit of that load, you know, give Tatum some rest. Man, I they 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 let that one slip. You know, you can you you can use him as the focal point of your offense because he can shoot enough where they have to guard him, and he can see over everyone. Like you put him on the top of the key and you give him the ball like they do with Jokic, except he's four inches taller than him, and he can see everyone. I mean, it, it's a it's a real issue. I mean, will he stay healthy? That's the question. <laughs> but I mean, he alters shots and makes guys think about it. You just watch their games and you see that that happening, where they. They need to know where he is. You know, they go and they check to make sure he's not behind them. But for a guy they just got for nothing, I mean, literally nothing, he's a valuable piece. And he could also, you know, work as a, as a trade. Because he doesn't make but two million bucks, I think $2.2 million as a salary, which is, I think, the minimum for a guy with three years experience on a yes. regular contract. Yeah. They get him on the cheap like that and they get the most out of him. Yeah. But yeah, he's, he's been playing really, really well, but they, they, they're just very young. The, the Orlando magic. Yeah. They just, I mean, they got too many young players. I mean, Ter- Terrence Ross, who's not even any good. I can't believe they never traded him. I, I would have figured they would have. He's, a, moved he's like the old man on the team. He's a vet. Like, yeah. So you know everything's going to go sideways for a little while until they. I mean, it, it's just so crazy that, you know, it's hard for them to attract players. No, they have to draft them. Yeah, I mean, look at look at how um, Golden State has done it. I mean, they got guys, you know, top whatever picks, and they're on the bench. 
like Kaminga and Wiseman is, just got demoted, didn't he? No, he just doesn't. He, he just doesn't seem like he has a desire to play. He just makes too many mistakes. Yeah. I don't he doesn't know. have any experience either. That guy hasn't played that much. No. I mean, in the last three years, he, he's he's barely played. So you can't look. And that's the thing that drives me crazy about the Knicks. And guys want to argue me all the time. Julius Randle's minutes are wasted. Stop trying to win games. Play the young guys. Let them develop. They win, they win, they lose, they lose. But you have to play young players so that you can find out what they can do and what they can't do and find a role for them. And if you don't play them regularly or you jing, you know, you jack them out of the game uh, with the first time they miss a shot, you're never going to learn. That's, that's not how you develop players. You develop them by playing them. If they play their, if they play their way off the floor because they just can't do it or stink, then you found out and you, you cut bait and you move on. <laughs> but there's no point in having 28, 29, 30-year-old guys that aren't getting better anymore. They right. aren't good enough anyways that you're paying a lot of money to. They make no sense. And that's the younger probably guy. teams get in a lot of trouble is they get stuck with a bunch of those guys and then they can't get rid of them. They make too much, but they're not good enough and there's nobody really wants them and they get stuck with these bad contracts and it anchors yep. teams. Yeah, yeah. No, oh, the Knicks did it, you know, with, the Knicks did it with Fournier. Right. They, they overpaid him. Overpaid they him. They thought that they were going to be a contender because they they got in the playoffs a couple years ago. And he was going to be a piece. He was going to be the shooter, blah, blah, blah. Except it didn't work. And he is, you know, he doesn't fit on a roster when you have so many other guys that need to play. But you can't trade him because he makes $18 million a year. So, you know, in the NBA, you got to trade contract for contract. So it's not an easy fit to, to, to make that to make that move. Because the Knicks also can't take back four guys. You know they can't take back four guys making making four you know four and a half million because they got no roster space for them. So. Fournier, Fournier, this is how I describe that. Fournier is like a hard way bet on the crap table. He, he's like a he's like a twenty five claimer. Right, and and he in the right spot, he's going to be everything for you. Like right. I, the Knicks really thought they were going to make a championship run. And he would have been a good piece for the one year. So if they won, let's say they just went to the finals. He he served his purpose. And even if he was bad the next year, it still wouldn't have been bad. Now what happened is they got him and they went out and overspent for him. He didn't do much. And now he's doing even less. It looks that much worse. Right. And you're stuck with them. Right. Know, now they're stuck. And they're like, the only way you can trade them is with is, no, with no championship run. With is no... if, if you attach an asset to him. Right. You know, you basically need to bribe another team to take him because he has a bad contract. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, uh, but I mean, look at how, how Memphis um, has risen. Mm-hmm. They played guys, Desmond Bain, they played him. Right. Dylan Brooks, they played him. Mm-hmm. Th- those those guys were. I think Brooks was like the forty fifth guy taken in a draft, and Bain yeah, was like second the 30th. round. Yeah, but you know how they found out they could play? 
They played them. They played them. <laughs> Put them out there. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, that, yeah. and that's 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 how you know a guy like Lou Dort, if he doesn't mm-hmm. go to Oklahoma City, he never gets a chance. A lot of guys don't get the chance because you know you got you got the Tibbs of the world's like sitting on guys like their uh, eggs waiting to hatch like years later. Tips is, is he's just a he's he's just time has passed his window's closed they need to stop hiring him they need to move on from him right he was never the right coach no he, he was, was always never the, the right coach right. and and they didn't the worst thing that happened was that Dibs is Dibs is like good off the layoff <laughs> like he's a horse right. that runs good in. off the layoff and then yep. you expect him to like oh he's got that race under his belt he should be even better. But it For never works years. out that way. He's okay, and then the third year he'll, he always he always peaks and then he regresses. And you know, last year he regressed, and this year even he, more. He's trying some new things, but he's just like drowning. He just half assed He just it just it the game isn't the same anymore. You know, you can't play. You don't need to play a center forty eight minutes. A lot of teams don't even have a center. Have a center, <laughs> or they have a center that like. You know, can't score. Um, like Capella on or uh, on Atlanta, you don't have to worry about him because he can't score. So you can put a guy who's six foot seven, six eight on him because he can't shoot, and he's not going to post up. His only time he scores is is on lobs or offensive rebounds. So you don't need a seven foot guy to guard that guy, because when the Knicks play their seven foot guy, Robinson. He can't score either. So <laughs> he just stands in the lane Take and, and, and you know, hopes for offensive rebounds or, or you know, someone will he'll get free for a, a, a lob. But you're playing four and five on offense in a league where the teams are averaging 115 points a game in a 48-minute game. And, you know, they're just not good enough to do that. Anyways, I'm sure no one, I'm sure no one wants to hear about my complaints about the New York Knicks. <laughs> they can, they can, they can see that on Twitter. Yeah, we got to be dynamic. We can't always do horse racing. You know, we got to be like a uh, fan duel. Do a little both. Yeah. We'll sport. We won't, we, won't, we won't talk about that. Uh... Steve Bix Eagles. Nine Eagles. and one. He was sipping coffee and everything. That was great. I like the Eagles. The Eagles are for real. The Eagles have landed tomorrow. We got a big soccer game tomorrow. Soccer, I dude, I haven't watched one of those games at all. I ran zero. Haven't even seen a highlight. How about that? The the, the Iranians are playing United States. Big game. The U.S. needs to win it. <laughs> See if they really had any any flair for the. Um, what they would do is they'd bring out the Iron Sheik. Oh, man. And have him stomp around the sidelines. That's my guy. uh, But no, it's a big game. Tomorrow, tomorrow too. We need to beat them. We need to beat the Iranians. Oh, we didn't even talk about Tampa opening. Tampa opened. Yeah, it did. Monday, well, they they were open Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, 
until after New Year's. And then what's the schedule? Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They add Sundays. Gotta gotta keep Beamy in action. And they go all the way through May. First week of May. Yeah, yeah. Derby Day actually is uh the last live racing day. Until the thirtieth of June. Yeah, that weird little two day thing. Two day, yeah. June, July. Yeah, that's true. Tampa, Tampa's always a interesting card. It's another place that once a day, twice a day, usually, there's an un- inexplicable result. <laughs> that you can't explain why a horse won. Where did that performance come from? Usually twice a day. And it, and it always smack dab in the pick five. Yeah. <laughs> right in the middle. Usually in the middle of the pick five, like the the fourth race, third or fourth pick five race, tickets blow up constantly. It's crazy. Well, uh, you're gonna do Twitter Spaces tomorrow. Yes, sir. We'll be on Twitter at eleven. Other man, Squid. A lot to talk. About. We have we haven't been on there. And I know. Last, last Tuesday. Yeah, took a week, week off. Took a holiday heat hiatus. Turkeys. It's all right. Well, appreciate everyone listening. If you made it this far, if you made it through the Knicks rants, you deserve a, a prize. The Time Lord's going to like that, that part. He's got to hang in there for this whole time. Yeah, the Time Lord is... Uh, he, he's he's a, a dedicated listener. He's our guy. That's our man. So, uh, well, shout out to everyone who made it this far. Uh, this this podcast has been about the same length as a World Cup soccer game, but Barry has not uh, flopped or faked any injuries, and I've gotten no red cards. You got a yellow card. Twitter gave you a yellow card last week. <laughs> Might have got a yellow card, but <laughs> no reds. <laughs> I got a red card, but I came back <laughs> somehow. Yeah, I got a red card from Twitter for eight days. <laughs> <laughs> I got suspended. Tell I got to jump off a bridge. It was just a suggestion. The algorithm doesn't understand context or sarcasm. Elon Musk doesn't like me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Well, we'll talk later. All right. Thanks, everyone.